Welcome to Six in the Mix. A band of brothers talking faith, family, sports, and politics. Join us on our journey. Welcome to episode 27. We have a full six in the mix. Again, please drop comments and topic suggestions on our Facebook page at Six in the Mix Podcast or on our Twitter page at Six in the Mix Pod. So, Looking back, guys, the week that was, a lot of things happened. What uh, what's what's popping out as we start off episode twenty-seven? Yeah, I had the chance to get a uh, vaccine, and I passed. I passed. They had extra vaccines, and part of the uh, teacher groups in Fond du Lac actually were able to to jump in, and uh, as a staged event, we were able to uh, be in that phase one, and uh, there was about sixty extra. Vaccine vaccinations, and uh, I just I decided that I'm I'm just going to wait. And the reason, more than I wasn't comfortable with it, is the fact that I know just in the people that are around me that there is a huge waiting list for people that are 60, 65, and older that still have not got it in town. And two of them have I know have been bumped on that list. And so I just said, Hey, is there any way that we can call and get these people in? Um, one of them was able to, and uh, so that was a good thing, I felt. So anyway, I passed for now, and uh, hopefully as it starts to roll out, we'll get more and more and more. Cool. Anybody anybody else pass on uh, COVID-19 vaccines? I, I did not. You jumped in the lane and, and took one? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got a hot tip that a small local community nearby where I live they had a batch of vaccines and they said, Hey, we need to get these used up. And I was headed that way. So I went over there to see if it was legit. And it was. And I think Aaron and I got our shots yesterday by the, by the skin of our, of our teeth. I mean, it was, I think by the time we were done, we waited for about an hour because by the time word had spread out that they were desperate to get rid of these, there were a lot of people packing in. Well, yeah, we, we got the shot. I, I, I was kind of tense though. I was flexing. And I think that made my my arm muscle a little little sore, but that's the only symptom I've had. Uh, and I got this done about 11 a.m. yesterday. So yeah, I'm not dead, and I think this will provide good protection for me. So whose garage did you get this out of? Well, <laughs> I, I don't think I I don't think I'm at liberty to share that information. <laughs> I I think first name was Boris. I'm not sure of the last name though. You might know him. <laughs> So what's so, uh, what's the plan for your second one? Is that just are, are you waiting on uh, somebody to contact you back, or is that already scheduled? Yeah, that's a great question because I did get the Pfizer BioNTech product, and the plan is I think after three weeks you're supposed to go get the second dose. But I don't remember if I shared this last week on our on our podcast or not. But I I only want one dose of any of them. I think that the body is going to recognize the immunity for a long time, uh, or provide some some level of immunity for a, a long time. When it sees this virus enter the body, it may not have as many antibodies fight off, but I think the other components of the immunity system will, or the immune system will kick in and ward it off pretty well. So if I can get away with it, I don't like one shot. Yeah, that's the thing. Are they going to be low on supply of people to hand this out to in three weeks? I don't know, you know, because I wasn't supposed to be in this round technically, but before the vaccines expire, they have a shelf life. Uh, they were trying to get them into people. So what happens to that? Second shot. What if, if you don't if you don't use it, does nobody get it? I guess they just try to get the word out and say if you're interested in the vaccine, 
Uh, I, I didn't have to sign an agreement saying I'm definitely coming back for the second shot. So I don't think they're really enforcing that. Uh, but most other people are just doing it. But you hear about these really severe reactions. The, you get all these symptoms then after the second dose. And to me, that's the body saying, hey, you're, you're flooding the system here, pal. And I, I don't want to flood the system. I, I'm happy to introduce um, my body to, to help me fight off the real virus when it comes. But I don't know. I just... I, some of you like to see more time go by before getting it, and I, I'm I'm kind of with you there. It's still relatively new into the process, so I think one one dose will be helpful. So, which YouTube doctor is saying just take one dose? <laughs> <laughs> is it Z Dog MD? Oh, he's good. I hope you guys have been watching him. He's 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 provided some reality here in this land land of lunacy we find ourselves in. You know, it's actually uh, Dr. John Campbell. He he really is encouraging. All countries, he, he's out of England, but he's encouraging all countries to consider one dose because not only does he think it's going to be long-lasting immunity, but this is also going to allow more people to get that first dose it, because it, it just opens it up a lot more. So I, I, I'm with him, and I, I hope the science bears it out. That was my excitement for the week. Uh, outside of getting my vaccine, which I certainly wasn't planning on until, I guess, when did our governor say we'd get it by the end of May, maybe? So that's a lot earlier. Speaking of governors, are the governors of Texas and Mississippi actually Neanderthals for rolling back some of the mandates? No, they are not Neanderthals. And I pray this is just the beginning of other governors trying to, to step up here. I love it. I think it's great. I think the great state of Minnesota and the great state of Wisconsin are going to be at the last of that line. Just judging by some of the uh, decisions being made now, but I, I'm agreement. I agree with you, Don. I think this is this is the start of just normalcy kind of coming back in the wave of that. Uh, it'll definitely take some time, but you can tell the whole country's itching to do that. I'm liking my call in your shot from a couple episodes ago. As far as masking, I think you can. I think you can start to feel the groundswell, especially with the vaccines coming on on board strong. Like it, it's just going to be the couple politicians aren't going to be able to hold back the groundswell. That's going to be saying, "Hey, the whole purpose of these vaccines is so we can get back to uh, a level of normalcy, like like, like we remember." We just well, can't continue this stuff for, when there's very little risk. Well, Jeremy is skipping the vaccine, so I mean, if we're going to have people skipping the vaccine, we're, we're not going to get to herd immunity, right? And yeah, then we'll just did have you to hear mask what I longer. Said for now, I think there's others that are in more in more need of it than I am. So I'm not I'm not against it. I just when it comes and, and it's in abundance, then hey, that's my that'll be my turn. Are Are you going to go with the Johnson and Johnson vaccine? You know, I I really don't care to be honest with you. If, if I get it, it would be nice just for practicality's sake to only get one shot. So, yeah, yeah right. I, I mean, it just makes it makes no sense to me to go back a couple of times. I mean, I've had to go get shots when I traveled out of the country. And there are some where you get that. I think it's the is it tuberculosis or what is what's the one they just put this little little shot underneath your skin. And if it swells up and re reacts, then, you know, you're you're positive. And so you have to go get another one or something. But I've had lots of shots to, to travel overseas to Africa and Mexico and other places. So I'm not opposed to getting them, and I've had them. It would be nice if I just had one. Yeah, one would be great. I just I feel there's a crowd element of our society that is anti-mask and anti-vaccine. And I, I would think that if you're anti-vaccine and you don't like wearing masks, that you've got to do one or the other to kind of get us through this, right? Not Not necessarily. 
Because the masks have been proven to work. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially if you double mask, they're really good. Why are we not telling right. everybody to wear four? I Agreed. mean, if two, if two is good, then four is better. That would explain the oxygen deprivation. I'm at like 86%. Yeah, <laughs> Darth Vader over there. All, all I can say is that I'm I'm super excited about the possible about the likelihood that I'm going to start coaching my son's um, U8 soccer team tomorrow night for the first week of practice wearing a mask, and every kid on the field will be wearing a mask. And so, if you think if you think there's anything more hopeless than trying to coach a group of six and seven year old boys outdoors on a big field while you're wearing a mask, let me introduce you. I've got a bridge in the Southern Sahara to sell you. <laughs> Because it's it's gonna be it's gonna be one of the craziest things I've ever seen. I love the fact that in Minnesota it's okay to wrestle without a mask. But uh but yeah, your your little your little tykes running around need to have a mask on. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's my favorite one about that, Don. The protocol says no mask while you wrestle, so you're on top of each other for seven minutes, but you can't <laughs> shake hands after the wrestling match is over. <laughs> Now, that being said, I we been, hit the brilliant. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's hard to some of the way these protocols are put together are pretty dicey. But um, that being said, you know, I've been officiating basketball for a month and a half now. And it's certainly not my preference to wear a mask while I do it. But it's it's not terrible. And we, we've done some activities with younger kids. Um, and to try to give you a little boost there, Ethan, we've survived. The kids have been halfway decent. They kind of just are, in Minnesota anyway, their result, they're, they're kind of just okay with it now because they've been doing it all year, going to school and going to recess and everything else. So they're just kind of, they, they're more adaptable, I think, than we are as adults sometimes. You guys can move to the great, the great state of Ohio where um, they allow kids to play at all different levels, inside, outside, without masks. So I, th- I think it's a very balanced approach to what, what they're doing. So I've been happy with the protocol they put in place. Yeah, I don't doubt that the kids will adjust. I just think it's a little bit idiotic that we're outside on a huge open field with 12, seven, six and seven year olds that are spread over a 80 yard by 40 yard field. And, you know, they're, you're expecting that to help in any way, shape or form. Right. Um, even, even when they gather as a group. You know, they're not, they're not hugging each other and wrestling, but you know, it's fine. Now, granted, after two weeks with Ethan, they'll probably be spaced out, but you know, like under eight, man, they're, it's like a, it's like 22 kids around the ball. That's a, that's a super spreader event, Ethan, don't you think? <laughs> the good news, Ethan will have his mask on and just keep those curse words right under his breath. They won't even know what he's saying. It's convenient. It is convenient. Well, I do, I do have to say, I wish I would have had one. I think I told you guys last year, but I wish that having a mask would have been helpful for me last year when my, when my now six year old son got a ball stripped from him in a game, got up off the ground, picked himself off the ground, chased the kid down, tackled the ball from him and proceeded to dribble away from the kid as he went up the field and scored a goal. And as he's dribbling away, right in front of me, turns over his shoulder to the kid and yells, not today, Slowpoke, not today. <laughs> and I just about lost it on the sidelines. I had to, I had to calm myself down to be able to properly scold him when he came back to give me a high five from scoring the goal and remind him that we're not going to talk trash to people. 
Did so, they learn that from you or Michelle? That's what I want to know. I'm not sure. Oh, he's, <laughs> he's, he's watching videos from Ryan and Ethan playing video games. <laughs> That's probably not true. Today. Yeah, he he is quite competitive. So That's great. I'm not sure who he got that from, but. Yeah, having a mask at that moment would have hid my my really big smile as I was laughing to myself. It's <laughs> hilarious. Oh, that's good stuff. All righty. I think we'll turn it over to Don for uh, some trivia. Ladies and gentlemen. Welcome. The time has come. I hate these special games. <laughs> All right, initials. Let's do it. So we've got uh, a new. We had a new uh, winner last week. Ethan uh, finally uh, broke the barrier and uh, took Ben down. And so this week we'll see what happens. Uh, I've got another. Uh, uh, as far as I was also wanted to make sure we get an update on the uh, the protest or what was it? What, what what did you call it, Matt? Was it a protest or a well, we, we played. Uh, <laughs> well, now come on now. <laughs> Ask a serious question, don't. I think we played last week under protest, but you know we were challenging the we challenging the committee to look deep into what looked to be like shenanigans and you know some type of insider trading type stuff. So hey, okay. today's the great reset. We're good. <laughs> he will be back yeah. on his throne. I'm ready. Yeah, which which day in March is that? Like it's. It's like when Jesus is coming back. In 1989, he's coming back. Well, I meant 1999. <laughs> I meant 2009. <laughs> Make it up as you go. Yeah. Unbelievable. All right. So for our initials for the game today, we are going to use the initials T-H. T-H. And we're going to start with item number one. Clue number one. Attended Pine Bluff High School in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. Clue number two. In 1992, made the U.S. Junior Olympic team. Brian. Go ahead, Ryan. Tanya Harding. I'm sorry, that is incorrect. <laughs> Clue number three. 20th overall draft pick in the 1993 Major League Baseball draft. Clue number four. A five-time All-Star. Clue number five. Holds the seventh most gold gloves by an outfielder with nine. Matt? Yeah, go this ahead, Matt. This, this is not right. It's not the right time for him. Go ahead. Uh, Tory Hunter. It's, it's not the right time for him. Oh, that is correct. What? 
Let's go. Are you serious? Yes. <laughs> what? Yeah, I'm serious. Why, well, what makes you think this is the wrong time frame? Well, I thought dra- drafted in 93. I guess he maybe didn't come to the majors right away. I oh, I thought it was like a decade off. Sweet. I think I think we protest and go with Ryan Tanya Hardy. The great I'm, mecca of ice skating in Arkansas. This, so, this, Good call. This, this, the thing that's ironic is uh, over all of us, he's probably the number one baseball fan. <laughs> and, he's, and he's picking up <laughs> Olympic ice skaters. <laughs> in the world? I don't, I don't like this game. It messes, it messes with my mind. Oh, oh, Don, keep them coming. This is great. It, it, it's, it's almost like, I mean, I do better with trivia where I don't have initials clues. It's just bizarre. <laughs> I'd say. <laughs> oh, man. All right. All right, Matt. Uh, takes number one. Item number two. Clue number one. Often can be seen traveling with worms. Clue number two. Tricks users into willingly running it. Clue number three. An event referred to in the Odyssey. Clue number four. Depicted. Go ahead, Ethan. I'm going to say time hop. That is incorrect. (laughs) Number four. Depicted in Monty Python's Search for the Holy Grail. Matt? Go ahead, Matt. Treasure Hunter? I'm sorry, that is incorrect. (laughs) Number five has come to mean any trick or stratagem that causes a target to invite a foe into a securely protected bastion. Ben. Ben, go ahead. Trojan horse. That is correct. Oh, wow. Man. (laughs) Mm. Well, that's a couple there. Wow. Hold on. What was your first clue? Often seen, often can be seen traveling with worms. Okay. Interesting. We're, we're going computer virus. Oh, like yeah, right. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> All right. Uh, we got Ben with one and Matt with one. Item number three, clue number one. It was first sighted on January 1797 in London. Clue number two. The Collegian, the Tilbury, the Oxonian are its various styles. Clue number three. First iterations were made of beaver fur. Brian. Go ahead, Ryan. Top hat. That is correct. Wow. Good work. Good work. All right. All right. Now we've got Ryan on the board, Matt with one, and Ben with one. 
Item number four. Clue number one. First appeared in Times Square in 1985. Clue number two. In 2006, sold his company for one point six. Go ahead, Tom, Jeremy. Tommy Hilfiger? That is correct. Wow. Nice. Look at old Tommy over there. Jeremy on the board. <laughs> wow. You, you a Tommy, Hil Tommy Hilfiger fan out here? No. I just, I'm look. I'm thinking of names that I know that are TH and Ryan Ryan stole Tanya Harding, so I, the next one was Tommy <laughs> And I knew he didn't play baseball, so I was out on that one. <laughs> Good reasoning. All right. So we've got everybody with one except Ethan. Is that correct? That's correct. All right. Item number five. Clue number one. Born on September 1st, 1966, in Chicago, Illinois. Clue number two. 1989 WAC Player of the Year. Clue number three. Known for the UTEP step. Brian. Go ahead, Brian. Tim Hardaway. That is correct. Wow. Oh, well played. <laughs> right. UTEP. Uh, yep, I remember UTEP. Yeah, I didn't remember it. I didn't remember he went to that college. Eh? No. Were, Don, were you going to mention, didn't he have like a, was it a killer crossover? Yeah, that's the UTEP two-step, wasn't it? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Two steps would have been a travel, so it must have just been three steps. stuff. Thank you, official. <laughs> yeah. Can you guys? Can you guys name the uh, group he was involved with? Run TMC. Yeah. Chris, Chris, Mullen. So. Chris Mullen. Yeah. Tim Hardaway, obviously. Who's the, who's the third one? Mitch Richmond. Yep. Nice. Mm. Wow. It's All like right. NBA Jam material right yeah, there. Yeah, NBA Jam. He was killer in NBA Jam. I always liked to run with Detlef Shrimp, though, and who was the other guy? Was it Reggie Miller? I think it was Reggie Miller. And Reggie Shrimp. Miller. Sure. Oh, they were the best. All right. I think I, I guessed Detlef Shrimp last week, didn't you I? Did. You did. You did. Yep. Good. I, I'm surprised you didn't use Daryl Strawberry. I'm still, I'm still losing sleep over that one. But. <laughs> <laughs> All right. There's no. got to be a figure skating with DS as their initials <laughs> come up with that. All right, so Ryan with two, the rest with one except for Ethan. Sorry, that's just the way of making it in my head where it sounds right. So, All right. <laughs> All right, item number six, clue number one, a BBC television series by Alan Bennett. Clue number two. Formed in 1975 in New York City. Clue number three. Also known as a television pundit. 
Brian, Brian. Yes, go uh, ahead, Ryan. Talking head. That is correct. Look at Ryan tearing it up. I'm eating a lot of Ruffles potato chips. They're doing me well. <laughs> All right, so we got Ryan with three, and everybody else with one. Is that right? Except for, except for Ethan. Sorry, Ethan. All right. <laughs> All right. We still got some, uh, still got a chance here. Still got a chance to catch Brian with two items remaining. Item number seven. Born in 1970 and won her first competition in. Brian. 19- I swear. If this. Tonya Harding. You've got to be kidding me. You are correct. <laughs> <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> I'm gonna throw up. This is <laughs> name Harding. <laughs> oh my! Word. Finally, my wow. goodness. <laughs> All right, and the last one is worth it. It's the triple double. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna do that because it's bad. God forbid we have a little fun without you guys all crazy. (laughs) All right. Well, congratulations to Ryan. Gets on the board for the initials game. Well done, Ryan. Thank you, Don. Are we doing the the last one just to, you know, sharpen up our... All right. We can sharpen up some skills here. Okay. Last item. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Item number eight. Clue number one. Cliffwood Beach in New Jersey is known for this. Matt? Go ahead, Matt. Treasure Hunter? That is correct. Man! <laughs> what? Come on, yeah. man! How'd you know Cliffwood so, Beach? No I did. I just, I knew, I knew TH, and I, I think I said Treasure Hunter yeah. before, and I, it's, you know, people go look for metal on the beach, so I figured I'd, uh, I'd uh, take my shot. You know, that sounds a lot like Mike Lindell a couple of weeks yes. ago. It's a good no, it does guy. not. <laughs> a lot it like does it. Not yeah. sound hey, anything hey, like Don, it. Don, you want to run that next one up? Let's just, let's just see. <laughs> Come on, da- daily double, Don. You've got, you've got a three clue one for a daily double. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, item number nine, last one. Three clues, here let's, we go. Let's clue, go. Clue number one. Nicknamed the Birdman, Ethan. Ethan, I have no idea, but I'm gonna get. I'm gonna hold. I've been holding this for like five rounds. <laughs> I'm gonna say Tony Hawk. That is correct. Yes. Oh, <laughs> yes. <yeah>. Nice. <laughs> uh, it's been on the tip of my tongue for like five minutes now. <laughs> well done. You know, I was wondering if somebody answers with. Uh, you know, like Brian answered with Tanya Harding in item number one. Should he be allowed to use that again? No, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. I don't know. I mean, is that a? Is that a? I mean, I'm not saying we we rescind Ryan's uh Ryan's uh, little title here, but a uh, little day in the day in the sun here. But I'm just saying. I'm wondering if that should be a a rule. Yeah, what's well, funny because I used treasure hunters before. Yeah. So we actually had two circumstances where we guessed wrong, and then that was a answer for a future uh, future object. 
But, I mean, in a sense, though, when I say it, everybody's now aware of it. So yeah. they all should have been just sitting on it. Like Jeremy I, said, and, and that was did. that was one that Jeremy was sitting on. So that he should have been right there with me as soon as there was a clue on that last one. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, except I don't, I don't stalk her and know exactly where she lives <laughs> or where she's born. <laughs> well, I, I don't know who does. So, I mean, I know she's got bodyguards that, you know, stalk other ice skaters, but... <laughs> It is what it is. All right, guys. All right. Good stuff. All right. Going to turn it over to uh, Ethan for our next topic. Wow. I think that was the first time we've had a trivia or an initials game where at least everyone got one answer. So uh, tip, tip of the hat, Don. Yeah. <clears throat> and, uh, and to you guys as well. That's fun. I feel like I feel like it's one of those games that you have to be so quick on the buzzer. Mm -hmm. You almost have to walk the line of guessing too early or you're going to be late. Um, so it's, that, that makes it fun. Provides a little, little extra energy to it. Um, well, yeah, last week, you know, we, um, we had a little bit of a preliminary discussion about some of the news that has come out about Ravi Zacharias. And I think in some of our offline conversations, we felt like there were some really important conversations that could be had that were related to some of the news that has come out. And I think anytime, you know, especially now, I mean, we're, we're no longer 18, 19 year old college students who have, you know, typically less experience with tragedy, less experience with the, uh, the ramifications of the curse of sin in our world at large. Uh, but now I think as we've matured and grown, we've seen some of the bigger impacts of some of the impacts of sin in our world um, and in the church as a whole. And so I think anytime something like this happens, there's a, there's a handful of questions that tend to pop up um, to people's minds immediately. And so let's, I think we, we decided let's take a few minutes and just talk through a couple of those questions and just share some of what <clears throat> we're processing, um, remind each other of what do we know from God's word is true. Uh, so the first question that I think tends to pop up, and maybe some of you have had this conversation with your kids or friends, neighbors, um, people in church. Uh, but I think the first question that tends to pop up a lot is, well, what about Robbie? Was he, was he genuinely a believer? You know, his, his story, his testimony was pretty significant and compelling, but how would you guys answer that if, if one of your, you know, high school kids or one of your other kids came up and asked you that question? What do you guys think? Have you guys been processing some of that? Ethan, I'll, I'll speak to it just because last I was just kind of oh, unaware that uh, this was even happening. And, and I think sadly for me and for his family that most of this came, you know, out after um, his passing. And I guess to address your question, we actually talked about this on our podcast recently where we looked at the passage in John where we talked about the bearing fruit. And, and being connected to the vine. And if somebody were to ask me, you know, that question, I would be very quick to say, I am not the judge of somebody's salvation. That is not, that is not a human, um, gift for somebody to, or a judgment that I can make. God alone knows the heart. And I firmly believe that that is found in scripture, the whole of scripture. However, there are, there are obvious fruits that are, are produced. And whether you go to Galatians 5, the end of Galatians 5, or you look at John 15, where we were, I think, uh, where we were talking about the fruits that are produced. The question is, 
was the fruit that was he connected to the vine and were the fruit, legitimate fruits that were being born by the Holy Spirit. I think also the thing that comes up in my mind is there will be those in the last days that will speak what seems to be truth and convince many people of that truth, but really themselves will be false prophets because of the fact that they, the truth is not in them. So, you know, as far as, as far as his salvation and, and what that means, um, for eternity, God knows. I had, I, just because I had no idea that there was, and I think a lot of people were surprised at all these things, um, that they would say that Ravi Zacharias was, you know, he bore much, he, he, he gave much fruit and he gave much testimony to these things. And all that fruit is tainted in our mouths and to those who were part of that because of the great sin that he was a part of. Can you say of a person that they're in heaven or hell? I think there are some some things that we can look to. And if there are, is legitimate fruit and there are some things that are a part of that and there is a contribution without sin um, that you know of, um, there is there is much, much praise in that. I read an article that quoted him a year before he died. And I think it was Christianity, Christianity Today. Uh, where he actually said, I, you know, I'm going to be on that part where, um, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And, and in pre- preceding that, he said, nobody knows, nobody knows me. Nobody knows my heart. Nobody knows my heart. God does, God does. And then he gave the, the line, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You can't say that in light of, you know, first Corinthians chapter five or six, rather, where sexual immorality is not tolerated by God. So I think there there are some some big questions. The good news is, for me, I don't have to answer for him. I have to answer for me, and I have to make sure I'm right. So it was a big it was a big um, wake up call again to me, just to make sure the safeguards are in place. And I know that's bleeding into another question that we'll get, but um, I don't know if he's in heaven or not, and I I don't know, and I don't I don't, and this may sound callous, but I don't really care. Because my thought needs to be of my own heart before God. And if I get that right, then I'm allowed to and able to witness and share the gospel and let my light shine to others. But man, if that is, if that is a hidden secret and there are deep, deep sins there, that's, that's awful. It's, it's terrible. And unfortunately, it played out this way. Yeah. Thanks, Jeremy. Anybody else want to jump on the tail end of that question and add on to what Jeremy's saying? Yeah, cert- certainly would agree that we, we can't put forth in confidence whether uh, anyone is, is is in heaven or or hell. I think that's that's just something that we won't we won't know until we won't know for sure until eternity. But you know, just trying to take a look at scripture, and, and this is a tough one because you see, but throughout most of his life, you know, he's he's one of the the most eloquent and most thoughtful and well spoken. Christian statesman that speaks not only to Christians, but unbelievers, different walks of life, Jewish, Muslim, and just has uh, a respect throughout. And, and how can a man have that going on? How can he seemingly speak the words of God and, and seem like he's speaking from God and, and yet be living with that? You know, what kind of, you know, a double life is going on? I, uh, it's it's a challenge for me to kind of to walk through. I, I I guess I think of First Thessalonians four, 
where Paul is is given some very specific instructions um, about, you know, he talks about this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And I think what's concerning for me with Ravi, and I think concerning for any one of us, is the pervasive nature, the habitual nature, the the planned cover-up for what sounds like was years and years and years. That one's really tough. Paul makes it pretty clear. Like If you continue in that, that passion of lust, you're like the Gentiles who don't know God. It's it's a stark warning. And so you can go back and take a look at David. Well, he had a massive sexual failure and he had many wives and many women, yet he was called a man after God's own heart. So, you know, <laughs> how God judges the heart, that's not for mortal men to, to understand. But um, I think it's a I think it's something that should challenge us uh, pretty significantly. And I just uh, to me, it's just it's it's very sad to see leaders Leaders that seemingly God has raised up, or leaders in our own lives fall sexually. It's uh, it's it's it's, it's tough for me to wrap my arms around. Yeah, Matt, I was thinking too about the biblical example of David, and you know, you read through some of those Psalms that he wrote after the after the you know after everything had gone down with with Bathsheba and everything else, and just you know his his desire to restore that relationship with God and, and the contrition and the, the way that he, he just had such a desire to, to find a way back from that. And, you know, so, yeah, I thought of that example too, you know, the, 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 the sadness for me um, comes in I, I, one of the articles I read, I, I'll just read a line from it. I liked it a lot. It says that culture often does not reject us because they don't believe the church's doctrinal or moral teachings but because they have evidence that the church doesn't believe its own doctrinal and moral teachings, right? You know, the, the damage potentially that this can do to growing the kingdom is, you know, that, that's the tough pill to swallow when, when things like this happen. And they've, you know, this isn't the first time they've, you know, they happen over time throughout history, but the hindrance that is to, to growing the kingdom and to reaching more of the lost, to reaching more people with the, with the good news, the message of the gospel, you know, that, that's the real sadness for me that hopefully we can, as a, uh, you know, as a group of, of believers in the kingdom at large, we can still continue to have a positive impact in the, you know, in the world, right? And, and, and it just is a good warning to all of us about putting too, you know, maybe too much hope or confidence in another human being because we're all capable of this type of failure as much as we think we're not we're all capable of it if we don't have those things guardrails and things in our life and people we're accountable to and a real you know desire to follow God's leading you know we're all capable of it so you know it's just th- these things to me are just a huge warning like okay time to <laughs> You know, take even a little more time, maybe for some more self-reflection, and and try to lean in harder to the gospel and to the Bible, and not let any of these seeds start to take root. Yeah, that's good. that's good. That's some good thoughts, guys. Ethan, can I just add one yep. more thing that just popped yep. into my mind? I guess the thing that disturbs me most is the fact that in the stories that you guys were talking about, David is the classic example. There was there was. The time where it was exposed, he, the sin was exposed and he had, 
life left to repent and to work back. The thing that's confusing this in my mind or hard to grapple with is there was no revealing these things while Robbie was alive, or at least in a public way like it is now. So there is no, for his sake, ability to repent or to, to, you know, work back, as you said. And that's what's hard. And I think that's what people are finding it difficult to say. And they're willing to throw everything under the bus because there was no, there was no sorry or there was no, I'm, I'm, I'm terribly wrong and I grieve God and, and I, I must get help and I need to go back to the basics. Um, no, he's gone. Uh, so there was no repentance there. And maybe there was on his deathbed. I don't know. I mean, maybe there wasn't his heart, but these are years and years of things that are hidden. So just, just thought that was an interesting point of this because he died and then it came out and there was no public anything with him being able to address that in his own heart. Yeah, that's good. I mean, one of the differences is, as you guys have mentioned, obviously God confronted David, you know, in a really public, public way and challenged him. And obviously his heart was towards repentance. Uh, but Ravi, we don't really know. I, I do think that, that, you know, over a year before his life, there was a, an initial kind of pulling back the curtain, uh, with a woman that was brave enough to come forward. Um, and he, was pretty public and pretty direct in attacking her and denying. And, and there were, there were people that kind of, there were, there were plenty of people in the church that kind of blindly supported, took his word for it and, and really kind of covered or not covered, but really kind of stood up against her. Um, and, and it's hard to know, you know, we don't know what the evidence was. We don't know all the details, but, but ultimately we know God says sin will come out. Sin in our lives, sin in his life. Um, and, and we don't, I, I agree with you guys. We don't know what the story is in terms of his salvation and the authenticity of it. That's, that's between him and God. I think as we, as we lead our families, as we lead in our churches, we, we have to be able to point people to the truth of God's word and the truth of who God says he is and, and what he says about genuine salvation, uh, in terms of bearing fruit, in terms of you know, our, our salvation is not found in the fact that we prayed a prayer one time, uh, but that we, we put our trust in and we've continued to trust in his promises of salvation and forgiveness and grace. Um, and so we don't know what the story was with Robbie, but, but I think we can, I think we can help lead the people that God has entrusted us with. At least I'm trying to, by trying to point them to the one who is trustworthy, um, to the one who isn't going to disappoint um, like man would, as somebody mentioned earlier. Um, so, yeah, I think that's good. Well, I think that segues into kind of the second question that I think we've kind of talked about a little bit amongst ourselves, but I think gets raised in this kind of a situation. And that is, what about the people who came to faith because of Ravi's um, teaching, because of his public ministry? How should we encourage speak to challenge those men and women who now are looking blindly into this, almost this abyss in some ways of like, well, how do I know it's genuine? If, if he did this, then maybe the whole thing was, uh, you know, a farce um, and just really are shaken. How, how could we, how should we encourage them um, in the midst of something like this? 
I do know that the Holy Spirit quickens each believer individually and, and speaks very, very specifically to each heart. And since Adam, every man has been a sinner who has shared the gospel to the next man who has received Christ to the next man. So the, the, the gravity of sin is there predominantly um, from the beginning, not the beginning of time, but since Adam's time. Somebody said this not too long ago, and it actually it was probably years ago, but I just was reminded of it recently that if Adam had not sinned and every man until me had not sinned, I would have been the one to screw it up and identify with that so, so easily because that is who I am. You know, I'm a sinner at heart, but I do believe that the Holy Spirit works in people's lives and can work in a, in a unique way. And I'll give you an example of that. Okay. I was in Africa on a mission trip in 2008. And I was listening to a pastor who was um, telling us his his testimony, his story of how he became a believer in Christ. And he was absolutely, he said he was absolutely drunk, drunker than drunk. He said it was unbelievable. He had, he had just absolutely sauced himself all night. He's on the streets, doesn't know where he's at. And somebody comes and is giving help to these people on the on the streets of uh Pretoria, South Africa, and they came to him and they said, you need help? And he's like, well, you know, kind of shoved him away and they said, can we can we sit down with you and help you? And then, uh, so he said, okay, okay. And then they shared the gospel with him. And he said, as clear as day, I knew that I needed to, to accept Jesus Christ as Savior and I was absolutely drunk, but I knew that that's what it was. And it was from that moment on that he turned his life around. So, you know, God does work in unbelievable circumstances with unbelievable circuit, you know, situations and people who may or may not be who they say they are. And so I do think God can use any circumstance to bring a believer to him because he has called us. He has predestined us. There, there is a clear pathway to justification and it comes through his work in other people and through other people who are being used by him, either uh, either they know it or they don't. God, God's going to get that done, and it's His providence that allows that. Yeah, Jeremy, I think you you mentioned something there that I was going to say as well is that and how what God can use. If God can use a fake quartet like for Him, then He can. <laughs> Just kidding! Oh, oh, come on, guys. Oh, oh boy! <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm. I'm going to venture to say, I think, based on the circles that we've all grown up with together, that when we heard about Robbie Zacharias, yeah, we might have been a little surprised, but there are a lot of there's a part of us that also wasn't. And I think, you know, especially I don't know, I, I know Matt and I, we grew up in the same church. We went through a lot of this with leaders in our church, and I'm sure other people have as well, but. For whatever reason, I just feel like we had a target on our back. <laughs> I don't know what it was. It just seemed like we were inundated with it. And this is something that I've been having to, you know, learn about and deal with my whole life, it seems like. Um, you know, it's, uh, and I'll use this example because I don't think, you know, I, uh, I can use this example. I think I'm safe here, but the very man that wedded Jenna, Jenna and I uh, on our wedding day, that guy was having an affair. The, that while he was, while we were in marriage counseling with him. Now that guy imparted on Jen and I some very, very 
uh, important values and, and taught us some scriptural things that we, we still take to this day. Now, did that, did what he did, you know, negate that? No, of course not. And just like in everything else, you know, with youth leaders, youth pastors, pastors, missionaries, you know, the list goes on down the road. Coaches, come on. I mean, it just gets crazy, right? When we, when we start to think about all these things and it can almost seem overwhelming, but it also is very comforting in knowing that just because those men may have failed, they still were teaching something that was given to them by God. And we can't forget that. We can't negate that. We can't cancel that out just because of something, because of mistakes that they made. And, um, you know, it's it's something I've been having to, for whatever reason, had to learn to deal with my whole life. And it's just something I've I've just kind of, I've been, I was actually really getting into a lot of Robbie Beck, Zachariah stuff the last 10 years. And, um, you know, I was really enjoying his YouTube stuff. I was just trying to consume that as much as I could. I loved his debates and, and, and just his, just the way his mind worked. It was just fascinating to me. Um, the way he could portray or speak truth and at the same time use it within in what seemed to be in a loving manner and uh it was just fantastic and i still think that because he made these mistakes yeah it's disappointing but it's still not going to negate for me what what he taught me what he was able to introduce and some of the lessons he taught me so yeah it's it's interesting don i I think of uh, a passage in philippians one where paul talks about you know some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, others from goodwill. And he said, you know what, at the end of the day, that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. I think think you guys summed it up well. If you had to be perfect to preach, who would preach outside of the Son of God that, that, that came on the earth? And I think in one sense, life could be summed up as God teaching his children there's only one being in the universe who you can trust ultimately. And so get your eyes on me and not on other people. Their relationships on this earth horizontally horizontally will always be fallible, even very, very good ones, even uh, even our spouses. They're, they're, there's going to be flaws that we bring to the table significantly that they bring. And if our trust and our confidence is in man, boy, it's 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 a struggle. It's just it's just tough when you have somebody who you look up to so much fall. It, it just, it is, a, it, it is kind of a, kind of a shaking thing. It's a, it, it's a tough one. It's a tough one to walk in. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think, you know, going back to your question, Ethan, just about the, the folks who have come to faith because of Ravi's ministry. And I, I'll admit, I, I was never a big Ravi guy. Um, I, I like Don though. I, the little snippets I've seen of him. I, I have been impressed with his intellectual capabilities to um, just, I mean, when you talk about well-known Christian apologists, there aren't a whole lot of other names up there with him, right? I mean, he was in a unique class um, who's been able to travel around the world into some of our elite campuses across our country to, you know, share the, the Christian story, as it were. But I think you know, Second Timothy two says it well. You know, it's it says if we are faithless, he remains faithful. And even um, I'm not I'm not trying to make a call on his salvation because I I really can't. But those who have come to faith, uh, regardless of of how they came to faith, they are now putting their faith in the one who will remain faithful. So if their eyes are truly on the Lord, 
that's where they need to be. And uh, hopefully they're not coming to faith with uh, with a hip joined to Ravi Zacharias. Hopefully they they have level of thankfulness toward him and, and his ministry. But yeah, it really is a it really is a puzzling situation you know, to have a great intellect um, who's who's. And I think for me, part of the concern, really, you talked about those who have come to faith through his ministry. I'm concerned now about, you think about the cancel culture, uh, this RZIM, his ministry group, are they going to be canceled? And so will, will Christianity have less of an opportunity now to get to some of these secular campuses and share their story? Because what, what do we have now to to share? I mean, we know we've got something precious, something valuable. But it sure has been muddied. You know, we talked a little bit recently in our last segment, the Fix Your Eye segment, as Matt's led us through Galatians 5, talking about the flesh. It's about denying yourself, right? Deny yourself, put, put, put to death the fleshly things in your life. And we, we see behind the curtains of Ravi's life and holy smokes, uh, certainly that was not, not happening. And that's what's really confusing to me is, he had a pretty solid testimony of salvation. And just to see how long and how entrenched these problems were. I was listening to some guy earlier today talking about this. On It was Todd Friel, who's got a wretched podcast. And he was saying that, you know, if you look behind Ravi, some of what he did theologically, theologically wasn't really that strong. So he was trying to say um, he was weak in some areas because there were times he'd go into a Mormon community or a Catholic community, and he'd sound almost compromised uh, in terms of the Christian faith, or he was hoping he'd take a stronger step uh, up and say, hey, this this is the true faith, this is an opportunity. But like Don said, he, he'd come across in a loving way. He did a nice job of doing things in a loving way, um, which which we all should strive for. I guess I'm a little bit more concerned about what his ministry group is going to have available to them going forward than I am those who have come to true faith. Because those who have come to true faith, um, God will remain faithful. Um, and hopefully their faith is strong and not just dependent on humanity. Because like some of you have already said tonight, we can't look to any human with, with full confidence in faith. And hopefully we can appreciate those who have set good examples and, and, and have been faithful. I mean, that is our ultimate call to be faithful, like, like our God is. Yeah, that's good. I, I, I think you guys have said it well. The two statements that, that I'll make that I think you guys all hit on in different ways that, that I think really resonate with me when it comes to this kind of a question is, first of all, all truth is God's truth, whether it comes from Ravi and he's, he's had some serious compromise in his life or you know, other places, if there's things that are true, they're God's truth. And so we know that <clears throat> even as you guys said, even, even someone who's not a believer can speak the words of truth. God can use someone uh, for his glory, no matter what. So let's, let's go to the last part of our conversation and just talk about some of the implications for us. Um, what are, what are some things that, that you either are doing or want to do or that you maybe you've, you've had mentors in your life who you've heard of that have taken steps to just guard their hearts. Um, I think as Ben said earlier, you know, we, we have the potential for something like this in our own lives as, as we're, even as we're new creations, we still have a sin nature that we're fighting against um, this side of eternity. And so what, what's a, what's a suggestion or a thought that you have as a guardrail in your own life? 
Well, yeah, I, I did mention this earlier, and that's probably because it's pretty fresh in my mind. We just had a sermon about guardrails this morning at church. And the, so the one thing I would share, and I am taking this right right off the, the notes from my sermon I heard this morning, but I thought it was good. And the question was, where should I establish guardrails? And so they gave four things, or our pastor gave four um, things to consider when you need to figure out if it's a place you need a guardrail. And those would be any area where a loss of control is possible, any area that could result in harm, any area that could result in regret, and any area that leads me away from the delight of Jesus or delight in Jesus. Areas where, and you know, you think about those four ideas, that kind of covers, that can cover a huge gamut, right? You know, we're, we're talking about something sexual in nature. Obviously, that's a big place to put up guardrails, but, you know, putting up guardrails against all the other temptations that can crop up in life. And I even liked his definition of, of guardrail, even just thinking about it from a, um, you know, on a roadway perspective, you are looking to set something up that's going to keep you away from the edge, right? You're not trying to get your tiptoes right up to the edge of something or your car tires right up to the edge of that road. You need, you want something in place there that's going to keep you back and keep you at a safe distance so you don't find yourself falling over that edge. So I'll fully admit I'm, I'm definitely portraying someone else's thoughts here from our pastor, but I thought those are some good things. And as I consider and look for application, you know, as I've thought about it this afternoon and, you know, we'll continue to think about it more places and, and more ways to refine what I'm trying to do in my life and even thinking about my boys and our family of things to try to talk through. I thought those were really good things to get the conversation started. Yeah. And I, I think for me, just thinking about the scripture, uh, let him who stands take heed lest he fall. Seeing some of these people that we, we've looked up to theologically or, or for whatever reasons. And, you know, I, I don't think any of us are trending to be uh, a world-renowned apologist at this point. May happen, may happen for, for, for one of you guys. I, I'm certainly not on that track. But even if you're moving up in a career, you know, if, you, if you're moving through life, You've just got to be careful because we've seen with with Ravi, we have seen with television evangelists. I don't know if it's just a matter of fame that comes to them. But if you're not humble, if you're not dying to yourself, you're in trouble. And you say, what else are you doing? Well, I've been enjoying coming to these podcasts and thinking about these topics recently in Galatians 5, just thinking about the battles that we have against our flesh. And I... I I certainly don't want to end up like like Ravi did. Um, I I mean I I want to finish strong. So you met, one of you mentioned earlier. I think maybe it was you, Jeremy, talking about how he said he wants to hear those words, "Well done, good and faithful servant." Uh, yeah, I hope we I hope we all do. And so my goal is I want to grow in my sanctification. I want to I want to be better at defeating the fleshly lusts that war against my soul, and. I want to be able to look my my family in the eyes and everyone around me at work, at church, and I want to be a faithful servant. And so what's that mean? That means I've got to be in the Word. I've got to be communicating with my Lord. I've got to wake up and, like Ben said, think about guardrails. I, I, sh I should do the same thing. Identify guardrails. Where do I need to set the boundaries in my life so that I, I do not I do not fail? Because I, I hate failure. I have a fear of failure. And certainly in the Christian life, 
Um, as I said before, I'm, I'm thankful that God is faithful on the many times I have not been faithful uh, in, in, in obeying him. So, yeah, a long way to go yet. But this, this, this podcast series, even for me recently, just thinking about these things has been encouraging as we think about what does it look like to glorify God? And that's less self and, and more of him and, and serving others. So, Don, it's interesting that you and Matt were talking about, you know, the, the maybe former leaders in your churches and, and, you know, those types of individuals. And, and for all of us, we experienced that in, on at least one occasion together as a group, or at least most of us together as a group with a coach. And, and that's always difficult. I mean, because the ramifications and the consequences of that is never just for that individual and the person that they're with or whatever the case may be. It's always larger than that. Um, speaking of, speaking of, uh, back in your, uh, heydays there, there was a, there was, you guys had a pastor. His name was Doug McLaughlin and Doug wrote, he's written several books, but I, I did have a chance to teach through and, and kind of work through one of his books recently in a Sunday school series that I did for our church. And before I did, and read through his book and kind of presented them as lessons. I, I emailed him and said, Hey, I, I just want to let you know that we're doing this or thank you for your work and the effort you put in. And he responded back to me. He's like, Oh, thank you. I'll send you books. You know, don't buy them on Amazon. Gave me a deal on them and send them to me personally. And then he, he said something like he was talking about his, his time of ministry coming to a close and the fact that he's getting older. And he said this, he said, Marie and I want to lean in the tape. And he gave this analogy of, of, you know, you're, you're, you're running your race. I mean, it was, it was clearly some of the language that Paul used. And he said, we just want to lean into the tape. We want to, we want to keep pressing forward, not retire in the sense of we're, we're just going to take it all off and, and we're just going to decommission ourselves and we're just going to let, let our, our golden years here just follow, but we're going to lean into the tape. And, and he said, lean into the tape together. And I, I, I love that. I mean, the guy, is he, he has had a, a, a years and years of ministry and as far as I know has, has kept a, a very circumspect and moral life and has done some really wonderful teaching in, in many ways for a lot of people. And I just love that, that analogy, that thought. And I thought, what better guardrail can we put in place as men than making sure our wives are able to access the things that we have and be able to see them with their eyes too? That is a guardrail that I've really tried to give and, and, and allow my wife. I don't have a code on my phone. She can get in my computer. We, we have a, like an, you know, it's just an open policy. We, we are not exclusive with our stuff. Um, it's, it's just open. And so, um, I, I find, I find myself just kind of relieved that I don't even have to really think twice about that. And I'm sure there's probably other, you know, mechanisms I could put in to really make sure and, and give her, you know, messaging back and forth. And I know we've, we've done some, some of those, uh, you know, watches and, and different things that they send emails back and forth and that, that works and that's good. But the fact that she can come in at any moment in my office at any time, call me, know exactly where I am. And, uh, that gives her confidence, but that we would lean to the tape together because we have finished this race, committed as a couple and not in sin. Uh, with somebody else. It was just a, just a great encouragement. And that happened a couple months ago as far as our conversation between, uh, McLaughlin and I. Just still really a, a good picture in my mind. Yeah. I like, I like what you brought up about 
about family, Jeremy, because I, as I, as I think about this issue, you know, granted, we may never get to the heights of influence of, of Ravi that Ravi did, you know, probably hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions, but God's given us, uh, wives. He's given us kids and we have a responsibility to, to shepherd and to shape their hearts. And, you know, I think we, we talk a lot about Ravi, but, uh, we do need to mention, you know, the women that were abused in ways that we can't even imagine. Um, and so as, as men, as husbands and as fathers to recognize, yes, God put us in leadership roles with some responsibility, but to always use that to serve others and not serve ourselves is really important because, you know, what those, what those ladies are going through in their families and their lives, it's, it's, it's probably years and years and it likely will never, ever be the same. Those types of things. I, I think, you know, guardrails for me, I, you know, what Don was talking about, man, I, it was from, from a young age, you know, saw people in high school, guys that I looked up to, our youth pastor that yeah, I was, that was probably one of the biggest influences for me to go into youth ministry forsook the, he, he, he forsook the faith. He, he, he left his wife right there in the middle of the ministry. Um, you know, and, and I think I was a, you know, what was that? Maybe a f- freshman, I don't know, eighth grade freshman, uh, something like that. And it just didn't make any, it didn't make any sense. Like everything that I saw was like, man, I want to be like this guy. And it still led me to go to, you know, a college with the youth ministry in mind. And then that first year, to have somebody that I looked up to that I was looking forward to learning from, from an athletic perspective, but, but also from a ministry perspective, it was just incredible how, you know, that I wanted to learn what that looked like athletics and ministry. And, and then to see him fail and that become public within, I think the first month of my college was just, I mean, it was, it was, it was really tough. And I think maybe in some ways those failures are a big reason that I'm not in ministry today. Cause I, I was like, man, if these guys who I think were, were rock solid, like, how can I, you know, I don't want to put myself in a position to do that. And I think there's things I've got to work through with that because fear should never be a reason we're doing that. But I, I'm more susceptible to not living in an honoring and pure way. And, and so, you know, some of the recent guardrails that I've been working hard to put in is just making sure like the, the devices are, are locked down for, for me, the challenge is the phone. And so, making sure that we've got things in place and right now it's in a good space. But um, those things are, are, are so good because Ben, your point, like you can get a click or two off and it feels like, okay, it's not too bad. I'm not too far off, but then the next click and the next click and some, and then you're 70 clicks off the path, but in your mind, you're probably justified at each step of the way. And so in one sense, I think Robbie probably felt justified in all that he did with that and had it worked out in his mind in a way that, that wasn't wrong. Like he was getting what he needed and what he deserved. Um, it was his payment for his service to the Lord, which is just a horrific way to, to, to view that. But we've got to put those, those things in place. And I think, I think as, as men, I think we just need to be much more open about, about those things because sexual failure, it, it can, it just damages minds, it damages hearts, it damages relationships. And it's, you know, there, there's way too much on the line for us to be messing around with trifling with those yeah i remember there was a dr raymond buck so he was uh he was at there's at family baptist and i remember him sharing a story and he said he was on the mission he was a missionary longtime missionary and and he said he said i could never understand how people would throw away everything that they had for five seconds of madness 
And that is what it is, if it's even that. There is no true delight at the end of any type of thing, whether it's an affair or whether it's a, you know, you're, you're just trying to get uh, that type of excitement. There's there's nothing there that satisfies. And so it's important that as we work through, put the guardrails up. But, you know, Ryan, to your point, like, what are we putting into our mind to help us see things in a new light and, and, and walk in a way that's honoring and pure and that gives us that true joy? That's that's really the challenge. And that's why I am excited to be talking with you guys about it and learning from you guys, because. Uh, it's this is this is a worthy of our time and our thought uh, because so much is at stake. Yeah, that's good. Those are some good thoughts. I know for me, the one thing that I'll add to what's been said already, when we look at scripture and even when we look at the lives of people that we know, one of the things that tends to be in common, tends to be common in situations like this is living a lot in isolation, um, living in kind of darkness. And so one of the interesting things that has been really good and challenging for me is just understanding the reality of as believers, we are invited into the family. Uh, we're invited into the church uh, with brothers and sisters and the Christian life is meant to be lived in community and relationship with each other. And so I think for me, one of the biggest, most encouraging, life-giving, freeing and transformational things has been learning what does it look like to have relationships, not with everyone, what does it look like to have relationships with a couple of people that you can, that I can be completely honest with, a couple of guys that I can be completely honest with, they can be completely honest with me, and that we know like, hey, with some regularity, we're going to be asking questions of each other in a variety of areas of our lives to help spur each other on to following Christ more wholeheartedly so that the toehold of sin that maybe creeps in here and there doesn't grow to become more than that, that we are able to honestly admit and acknowledge and invite other people to help us experience the truth of the gospel in grace um, and, and in a place where we can kind of be honest, but we can also be reminded or have people reveal to us places, blind spots that we're not seeing, that we're not aware of. Um, and so I think for me, that's been, it's, it's one of the hardest things to find, um, to find people that you, to find guys that you can be committed to each other, loving each other in grace and truth and not just superficiality. But in the times when I have experienced that, God's used it in some tremendous ways to really grow my walk with him and my, my maturity and convict me in, in lots of areas, uh, of things that that God really wants to put a finger on. And so I think for me, being intentional at living in the light with people and with people that you trust for sure, but, but living in the light with people and saying, this is, this is, these are the areas that, you know, that we're agreeing that we're going to challenge each other on and being faithful to do it. Um, I think has gone a long ways in my life. Um, and I think, you know, you guys all shared some great things, but, uh, that would be one thing that I would add to it is even if it's one person or two people, uh, but having some relationships like that. So yeah, that's good. Well, let's with that. I think we've, I think we've uh, shared some great things there, but for the sake of time, um, let's go ahead. I'll hand it off. I think to uh, Ben. All right. Thanks. Yeah. That was a, a great conversation um, to, to think about some of those things, especially towards the end there. When we think about application back to ourselves, it's always an important thing to, to learn something from everything we interact with in life. So on to the feel good story of the week. 
Um, so this one comes from Cleveland and not Cleveland, Ohio, but Cleveland, Minnesota. Yes, I'm sorry, Cleveland, Minnesota, Matt. So uh, Cleveland, Minnesota, there was a uh, teacher uh, there, high school teacher who had um, had an injury and, and was wheelchair bound, as happened about 10 years ago. And he had a high school student this year who actually over the couple of years have gotten to be pretty close with this teacher. Um, student's name was Ryan uh, Renicky, and he saw this need. He had gone over to help this teacher over the course of the summer do some repairs around his house and yard and property. And the teacher, uh, Joel uh, Bulky, had a difficult time navigating, especially when he was outside. So uh, Ryan got the idea, Let, let's try to help this up guy out. I really like him as a teacher, and he's even become a mentor to me. So what he did is he started a fundraiser and raised uh, about $20,000 that purchased a like, totally decked out um, outdoor all-terrain wheelchair uh, for this high school teacher. And so they were able to to do that and give it to him. They gave it to him uh, earlier this year, kind of right around the Christmas time, actually. And uh, so he's got a brand new uh, wheelchair. It's even got like a, a plow on the front if he wants to clean off the driveway. And it's it's quite the machine. Kind of a cool thing. The community there, it's a small community, Cleveland, Minnesota, and they rallied around and helped donate some funds, all led by a, a junior in high school. And they uh invested into a great cause and, and help this uh, teacher have a little easier time getting around. And some of the quotes are great. Uh, just the, the relationship that's deepened between the teacher and students. And yeah, the, the teacher said the first thing he was doing is he was going to use it to go out ice fishing. So hopefully he got a chance to do that. Now it's gotten warm and the ice is starting to melt. But uh, yeah, it, it's a pretty heartwarming story. So I thought that was a cool one to share this week. Yeah, that's great. Hey, just Curious, did any of you guys know there was a Cleveland, Minnesota or not? Is that news to everybody? I don't think I don't think I did. Where okay. where, where is it in Minnesota, Ben? Yeah, know? it's southwest. I actually I'm pretty sure I've heard that. It's yep, near Mankato. We uh it's yeah, I near knew, Mankato. I knew there was one. Yep. We uh in high school I actually played a basketball game against Cleveland, Minnesota. You we you did too? I thought I was yep. gonna be the only one who played a basketball yep. game there. Well, you played in Cleveland, I huh? I did. I dropped thirty four on him too, by the way. <laughs> Well, I can't, I can't top that. They were in our conference though. So man, well done. How, how many did you drop on them, Ryan? Uh, I, I don't have that one memorized. So did I'm going to say. Did yours drop in between the backboard and the rim and just get stuck? <laughs> Run right there and stop. I'm, I'm, yeah, no, that only happened once in college with you, Yahoo's watching. Oh, so. just once in college. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I had about ten, so I, I'm I'm one third of the point score that Ben is. So uh, that's that's great. All right, we're going to move into fix your eyes again. We're continuing along the line of sanctification. I think this topic fits with what we talked about with with uh, with Robbie, but it's an important question. How do you deal with sin in your life? I think we've talked a lot about you know how do we avoid it? How do we walk and step with the Spirit? How do we put off those things? But the reality of the Christian life is that we do sin. There are things that that we allow into our lives. Some we knowingly let into our lives and other things we just we just don't even know about it. And the spirit exposes those things because he's loving in that way. But how do we deal with sin in our life? Like what is what are what's some biblical thoughts there? And we'll just go uh, kind of around the horn. I'll start with Don, but we'll just kind of go around the horn and just how how have you dealt with sin in your life? Uh, Maybe it's a scripture passage. Maybe it's a teaching. Uh, let's just kind of share some thoughts on that and, and encourage uh, the body in that. 
one of the things that I um, I try to um, strive for, at least when I know I st- I'm struggling with something, and you know, I know these things. You, you talk about these things like they sound like it sounds good, but by no means am I uh, perfect at it. But um, well, the one one thing I try to do is start it. There's I. You know, we talked about a couple of weeks ago about yeah, that idea of fasting, and I think it still applies here when you're talking about um, when you when you're dealing with a specific sin or, or struggle that you have, you intentionally starve it. And basically, you know, when, when things are starved, when an animal starves or or um, something is 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 that you're dealing with, you, you intentionally starve it, then it it weakens. And so I think that's one of the one of the things that I try to point to. You know, it's like in James, uh, James four seven, where it says, uh, where it says, where James says, "Resist the devil, and he will flee from you." So I mean, it's just that that idea of of trying to put it into starvation. And then another thing that I come uh, that that I think of is also I think it just I think it's a matter of overwhelming um, the sin. I mean, I think you've got to you know really. You know, pour yourself into it, and not the sin, but just the 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 gospel and 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 the word of God. Uh, Romans five twenty, I think, of where where sin increases, grace abounded all the more. Um, you know, and and that's another thing that we talked about last week is just the grace of God and how how what a what a transforming and um, completely life changing thing that it is. And you know, and also when we. When we are confronted with this sin, it's also a matter of in Second Timothy t- Timothy one seven uh, also Timothy says uh, to uh, for God uh, God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power love and self control and I think the spirit you know we can tap into that supernatural power that that Ben was talking about last week the spirit that gives us strength that that's beyond anything that that we alone can do so. I think those are the two things that I've thought of when, when you mentioned that, that um, you know, starving it and overwhelming it with, uh, with, uh, with grace, with the grace of God. Good thoughts and good scripture references. How about you, Ben? So the, my first comment, maybe this isn't going to be quite as encouraging, but I heard this quote quite a while back and man, it sticks with me. I, I, it comes back to my mind all the time. And maybe I've even said it before on the podcast, but. I heard the the quote goes something to the effect of, if you are not the worst sinner that you know, you're not being honest with yourself. And I, that one really stings because, and, and even, you know, scripturally that would be backed up in first Timothy. Paul says that uh, Jesus came to save sinners of who I am the worst, right? And you think about the apostle Paul and all the nearly superhuman things he was able to do during his ministry and surviving shipwreck and stoning and still proclaiming and holding fast and being, you know, powerful. And and just, you know, I think about that of my, you know, on my own, my own strength, I I don't have a chance to stand up to sin, to, to the devil, the temptation that's out there. I just can't do it on my own strength. I need to, on a daily basis, rely on God to help me and to, I mean, certainly try to be, you know, put the right guardrails and, and habits in my life that can minimize risk <laughs> to use a, you know, business term. But I need to, you know, I need God there with me. That's the only way I can do it. I just can't do it on my own because I need to be honest with myself that I am, I am that bad of a sinner capable of things that are not 
obviously God honoring. And so I need to, to keep that perspective so that I can put my reliance on God to help me through those situations. And then the, the second thing I would say is, you know, I, I compare it and I'm not the first person to do this, but, you know, even compare it to like a, a, a marriage or a spouse. When there's something between you, your spouse, the relationship's not good, right? Whether it's something that's known or something that's secret, it's, there's a problem there. And so that there's hurt that's happening to that relationship. And I think that same way, you know, with our relationship with God, if there's something there, whether, whether it's something that's known, you know, out public or whether it's something in secret, God knows about it and it, it's damaging that relationship. So we just need to cling to the promises that if we confess our sins, God is faithful to forgive us our sins. And we just need to do that. Get the, like Ethan said, get those small, uh, footholds, get them taken care of before they grow into something that's a, a bigger problem. And, um, so the, those would be, I guess, a couple of my first thoughts on there that, you know, we're, we're, um, we, we just need to rely so heavily, lean in so hard to, to, to God's strength and wisdom and God's word. Our relationship with God needs to stay at the forefront and we need to make sure that's a good relationship and try to clear up things we can as quickly as we can, or even maybe once others point them out to us, if we, if it's a blind spot for us and, and try to keep that good, open relationship with God. Good. Thanks, Ben. Jeremy, how, how have you dealt with sin in your life? Just kind of like Ben said, I, I have a phrase that I, I quote to myself all the time and it's this, it's that I am my own worst enemy, <laughs> which is just about, I mean, I like yours better actually, but I'm going to continue to say mine because that's what reminds me that I am a sinner and that I'm going to, I'm going to fail. With that said, God in his providence is the best forgiver. And so if I'm my own worst enemy and God's the best forgiver and he's the only forgiver of sin, then I have, I have an out, I have an outlet. And it's not just an outlet of get the guilt off my back. It's an outlet to reestablish in my heart and my life a, a pure relationship that Ben spoke of. So I know I'm repeating a lot of the same things. Um, one other thing that I, I, I want to just say is, is what I do is that the question was asked, what do you do? If I know I'm in sin, I will, I will literally walk outside. I'll take a walk. I will, I will get out in some space and I will just audibly talk to God. I will audibly talk to him. And it's, it's a prayer because I'm talking with him. I'm not closing my eyes and doing the whole, you know, just, just get in my office and get alone because Ethan, you mentioned, you know, sometimes those, those isolated, you know, spots are, are, are not so good. So I, I go right out in the open and I literally take a walk and I talk to God and I just express my frustration with myself, what I'm struggling with. And then I ask him, you need to, you need to help me get out of this now, whatever it is. <laughs> I mean, Send something, do something, help me now. And a lot of times it's scripture that comes to mind. And when I start quoting scripture, I'm like, how can I go through with this knowing that I, I am in God's throne room asking him this and then I'm going to go through with it? And then, of course, you know, there's the occasion and many occasions that I do as if, you know, oh, well, God will forgive me. And it's so I, I get so mad at myself and I'm so frustrated. However. God's the best forgiver. He's the only forgiver of sin. 
And uh, I, I talk to him often. I talk to him audibly. It's out loud. Yeah, that's that's great, Jeremy. Thanks, Ethan. How about you? Yeah, this is a good, it's a good topic because goodness knows, like Jeremy, it's a it's a regular occurrence. Um, and and having a good approach theology of of how we deal with sin in our lives, I think is is huge. I think for me, you know, this was not original to me. Um, I was told it a, a few years ago, a number of years ago. But I'm reminded of um, three calls um, when I'm faced with sin in my life. Um, and the first one is to just remind myself that I have to call it sin. Um, I have to own it. I have to acknowledge it. I can't blame it. I can't deflect other people. I can't hide it. All those things are the natural reaction of my heart. Um, but I have to own it. I have to call it sin before the Lord and say and remind myself, yeah, Jesus, this is, this is why you needed to die for me. Uh, one, one of the millions of reasons, but this is a reason. And to be able to acknowledge it so that I can repent, so that I can begin to turn, uh, from it. Um, because I, by doing that, like, like Jeremy mentioned, you know, we bring it into the light. Um, the second call that I have to remember is that I have to call it forgiven because the reality is, um, every, sin that I commit in my life was in view when Jesus was on the cross and was applied his forgiveness at the moment of my salvation. And so my sin is not forgive is not needing forgiveness. My my fellowship with him might need to be refreshed in that instance uh, because of my sin, but my relationship with him isn't isn't needing a refresher. Uh, but I need to remind myself that it is forgiven, uh, that the gospel is still true. In the midst of my failure, in the midst of my weakness, he is faithful and he is not weak. That his forgiveness is eternal. Uh, and the last part for me, I think, that has been really significant is just the idea of calling on God for help. Um, acknowledging, I think, for a lot of us, for me, I, I grew up with this thought of, I have to do it on my own. I have to, I have to work hard. I have to keep the rules. I have to do this. I have to do this. I have to do this. And, and, I'm not saying that we aren't responsible for our actions. We are. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't take steps like we talked about in the last segment of creating guardrails or other things like that. But even though we can take all the steps we want externally to protect ourselves, we can do bubkiss about our heart. And the reality is Jesus came to say that he was more concerned about the sin that's in our heart, um, or equally at least. And and the reality is I don't want to just try and clean up myself on the outside. I want to implore and beg and plead and ask God to transform me from the inside out. And so one of the biggest things for me is just growing. I think I missed the discussion a couple of weeks ago talking about um, Galatians 5 and just the idea of walking in the Spirit, keeping the step of the Spirit. But just learning what does it look like day by day, asking God to to change my heart so that not only do I not become irritable and angry with my kids when they don't obey or listen, but that God changes my heart so there's not even a flicker of anger or irritation with my kids or insert whatever sin challenges us. Um, and so for me, those are really the three big things when I'm faced with sin. I'm, I have to remind myself of my own sinfulness. I have to remind myself of God's goodness and his grace in the gospel. And I still have to remind myself of my desperate need for him to give me the power and the strength to choose to do what's right, to to have my heart and my life transformed in the process of sanctification until I'm with him. Yeah, thanks, Ethan. That's good. 
Ryan, how about you? Well, I'm going to have to piggyback off of Don for a moment here. I think he talked about starving my sin, and I do have a confession to make tonight. I, I have been dealing with a subtle mistress named Little Debbie, and I think I do do some uh, some some good starving here this week. That would do me a lot of good, so I, I do want to make that confession up front. So thank you, Don. That's gonna that is a fleshly issue I need to work on. So we'll we'll, we'll work on that. So yeah, besides that, I think you know dealing with sin. A couple of thoughts. I I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit works in me uh, to convict and to convince me of my sin. So a, a lot of my um, as I address sin in my life, it's thanks to the work of the Holy Spirit. It's it's amazing even how I've seen God work bringing certain passages around, whether it's a devotion around a time I'm, you know, dealing or thinking about some type of issue in my life. It's remarkable God's timing there. But just, it, it's a God, it's a God work in my life as I try to, as I try to handle sin. And, you know, I've, I've, I've talked to Aaron when I recognize a sin in my life and that I'll, I'll kind of piggyback off of that in a second too, but It'll be a conversation I'll have with her as well. I, I think it's it's good to talk to your wife, your spouse, and to say, hey, do you see this in my life? I mean, is, is this an issue you're seeing with me? And, and get that feedback to, to see, okay, I'm aware of it, and I, I, want, I want to address it. So that's, that's one thing I've done as I think about different issues I've struggled with over the years. Um, but the other thing is, and, and Matt, this is a little bit, adrift from your question, but I, I do have concern more about the sins of omission because I don't, I'm sure I, I, I have those sins. I just don't know about them. And how do I address those? That That's a bigger concern. So maybe that's a prayer where I need to say, Lord, show me where I'm not even aware of things that I should be doing. I, I want to be aware of them because, you know, we all wake up every day. I, I think we all sin. And is it a sin of commission or omission? Certainly the ones of commission I, I'm cognizant of. And thanks to the work of the Holy Spirit and God's word that's been hidden in my life for the better part of 40 years now, um, I, I'm so thankful for those workings of the Lord, his, his Holy Spirit and his word to keep me uh, in step. <laughs> he, he's done that for me. Now I just need to do my part and walk in that. And so I would say I would say those are the thoughts I've had around this question as I think about um, how how do I handle sin. But it, it certainly is a time where I will acknowledge it, you know, re- and commit to repent uh, of that sin in my life. That's good. Uh, like Ryan, I do have a confession too. Uh, have you guys ever heard of buttered donuts? <laughs> buttered donut, like like there is a butter shortage in Cleveland. <laughs> oh, just uh, just kidding. So my turn to answer, how do, how do I deal with, with, with sin in my life? I mean, the short answer is not well. And what I mean, what, what I mean by not well is I tend to be very passive with that. And I think as I've been thinking through, how does that work out for me? I think it links back to, you know, growing up, learning how to look, sound, yeah, maybe feel good and not really understanding truly what the gospel is. And so I think for me, when I sin, it's like, Man, why am I doing that? That's really messing up how I feel about myself. And I tend to be a lot more passive and I tend to withdraw and I tend to hide. And that's not, that's not the way we deal with, with sin in our life. I think we talked about 
you know, Galatians 5, the put off, put on, right? That, that's active. And I don't know if any of you guys uh, went and listened to that, uh, that Piper message. I act the miracle. I, I, I encourage you to do it. But what he, what he challenges there is that the Holy Spirit works in us, but he empowers our will to where we're being an actor in our sanctification. We are not passive in that. We must be active in that. And, I think in the same way, we need to be active in dealing with sin. And a passage that has been really meaningful to me, and I want to better live this out, is Micah 7. And there's just four verses, Micah 7, 8, 9, and then 18 and 19. And uh, it goes like this. It says, Rejoice not over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. And if you, if you think about that, it's, it's the active, like it's, it's speaking almost to his enemy. When I fall, I will rise. I sit in darkness. God will be a light to me. I have sinned against him. I'll bear his indignation. But he's going to plead my cause. The very one that's angry and against the sin is the one that rescues and saves and executes judgment for me. Man, if that isn't a picture of like the gospel, I, that is just amazing. He's going to bring me out into the light. He is going to be the one that, that, that brings that out and, and trusting in him. And then verses 18 and 19, uh, is just, I think a very worshipful, uh, prayer and a question. Who is a God like you pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. And so I think the challenge for me is to not be passive with it, not be hidden, not be withdrawn, but to be empowered, to be active in that, to preach the gospel to the enemy, to the sin and, and come before God and, and just, just joy in the gospel, even in, even after we have sinned and, I think to the extent that we can grow in the gospel and, and even dealing with sin as much as we wish it would never happen, but when it does happen, that we actively uh, bring it before the Lord, that we preach the gospel to ourselves. Uh, I think God is going to work uh, in us uh, the sanctification that he's promised to do, and I, I just think it's a beautiful thing. So great discussion, uh, gentlemen. I, I certainly appreciate that. It's encouraged my heart. That's a wrap on episode 27. Uh, this, the seventh day of March, year of our Lord, 2021. This was Six in the Mix, talking faith, family, sports, and politics. Find our episodes on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast content. Review us and leave a comment. Visit our Facebook page at Six in the Mix Podcast and comment on what topics you'd like us to discuss. We are also on Twitter at Six in the Mix Pod. Join us on our journey. <laughs>